The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Invictus Mind. This is your host, Mike Corbell. I want to welcome any first-time listeners to this program and, of course, thank the returning listeners for coming back and joining us in our weekly program dedicated to understanding the tenets of self-mastery. Of course, on this show, we discuss how to break free from the various systems that bind us and how to live our lives to the fullest by discovering political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It is my contention that liberty, a word that is often misunderstood in today's world, is not a thing that needs to be violently defended or forcefully fought to achieve, but it is a force like gravity that is available to anyone willing to study it and magnify its potential. With that understanding, I believe any one of us can become unconquerable, and if we are willing to change ourselves first, we then can start to change the world we live in. Of course, if you like this show and find it has value, please subscribe to it and share it with three of your friends. You can find this program on almost all the places you find podcasts and find me on all of your social media websites. All right. Today, I invited a young man I'm starting to get to know through a network set up specifically for entrepreneurs and influencers. He and I are both coached by numerous experienced professionals to become better at crafting our own narratives and delivering a message that resonates with our clients. But not only do we share that in common, we also come from a similar industry. My guest is the creator of a company called Finance Essentials where he helps small business owners, working professionals, and non-finance teams understand finance and their role in driving the top and bottom line for their companies. He believes that we each have an obligation to become financially successful because many people do not have that opportunity, and it is up to us to help these people by achieving as much success as we possibly can. While he and I both share this same sentiment, I asked Danny to come share his vision with me and to expound on this idea. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Danny Hudson. How you doing, Danny? Oh man, that that intro was fantastic. I love it. I, I'm I, it, it, the part that really stood out was when you called me young, um, because with the gray, you know, coming into the beard, you know, I don't I don't hear young uh, any as much anymore. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, we're all young at heart, right? If we're if we're yeah. moving forward, we're still young yeah. at heart. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? Sometimes that's what counts until the until the rain starts rolling in and you feel in your bones and you're like, well, maybe that young at heart's not as good as, as I thought it was. <laughs> you know, Dan, I've been checking out your podcast a little bit. Uh, of course, we connected in a nine figure network. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, we because we speak the same language, I thought we'd get on and, and, and talk a little bit about how we can help people in this sure. world of confusion. You know, again, yeah. as part of my show is about financial freedom. Uh, that's what we're going to dedicate today's topic in. Perfect. That's that's beautiful. That's that's something that 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 is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> good, good. You know, one of my mentors said that the best way that uh, you or I or anybody could help the less fortunate or the poor is to not become one of them. Yep. <laughs> and I absolutely. Think we, I think we share the same thing. You know, 
Uh, in my career, I've helped numerous families study finances, uh, everything from just saving to retirement accounts, insurance, and, and getting out of debt. Uh, once in a while, I sit down with uh, a business owner, but my understanding is that's really your forte is you, you like to speak specifically with business owners and kind of uh, talk about their books and uh, profit and loss statements and things of that nature, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I've, I've been in finance um, for about 10 years or so now, um, corporate finance, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and so what I've, what I've really become familiar with is, is really being able to analyze and understand and ask the right questions as far as um, the breakdowns of a PL statement. You know, and, and really that, that can give a, um, a business um, a, a really good firm understanding as far as how healthy is, is our company, right? Um, you know, you can listen to earnings calls and, and things like that. And, and they always try to fluff, you know, whatever they can. Um, but at the end of the day, the data doesn't lie, right? The numbers don't lie. And so mm -hmm. when you're looking at, even if it's just a five line where you're looking at your net sales all the way down to your to your operating profit or your EBITDA, um, that alone can can kind of tell you the uh, the the health of of your business. Yeah, one of our common mentors, Danny, uh, likes to say that uh, every single one of us individuals should run our lives as if we were a business. Absolutely. So, so today, I want to kind of do a cross study of individual finance versus business uh, finance. Sure. But, uh, I really wanted to I wanted to set a precedent for this conversation. I, I was listening to another podcast not too long ago. And the host actually provided this thought, you know, in a world of COVID-19 that we're living in right now, there's this common phrase called the new normal. And it's probably just as irritating to you as it is to me when people say yeah, that. I was going to say, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> but, you know, what he said is the new normal is just the same as the old normal. It's never, nothing's ever changed. And uh, here's what I've been noticing. Um, what I've really been sitting down and discussing with some of my clients yeah, under normal conditions, uh, the average person that we, uh, we encounter in today's world, uh, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're up to their ears in debt. They got no money in savings. They literally have no understanding about taxation, about retirement. They're clueless about where to go and who to turn to. And they're literally like six months away from being bankruptcy if, uh, you know, if they lose a job or, or a loved one passes away in their family. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so, and and I think too, when you bring up COVID, um, lockdowns, um, you know, and and the overall fear, right, that that has been instilled in people as a whole, um, only it only it only amplifies that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because now people aren't sure as far as well, where am I going to get my next paycheck from? Um, you know, you see all of these people. Uh, that are like, you know, I, I, I need my, my Biden bucks, right? I need my check. I need that. And, and what has essentially happened is, is it's gotten to the point now where, where people aren't questioning, hey, is that right? Should we actually be just given this money? Where is it coming from? Anything like that. All they're thinking is, is, is I've got rent. I've got bills. I have all of these things. And rather than me being able to focus on whether or not it's, it's the right thing to do, they're just focusing on the fact that if they don't get that money, they may not have a place to live, you know, which is, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. That sets up the premise that, uh, you know, the money that we have or the money that we save provides the liberty that we all need or the security, I guess, whichever one is, uh, is weighed in your mindset, you know, what's more important, liberty or security. I think both can be achieved with the money we get. And like you said, most people are kind of forgetting about the political ramifications of, 
whether it's Biden or Trump before, uh, before him started handing people money, this seems to be the new idea going forward in the future. You know, we're going right. to get a paycheck sent to us. And for whatever reason, just for breathing air, we get to have money. And now what are we going to do with those things that are going to determine whether we have liberty or have security? Sure, sure. And, and I think, too, what you're going to find is, uh, is that people are going to pay for their, their basic essentials. Um, and I know that Jason has brought this up on, on his show before, uh, is that these people are going to continue, you know, we're going to continue to live paycheck to paycheck and month to month. Um, and then that wealth is going to continue to be accumulated at the top, right? Mm -hmm. the, the people that don't need that money, that's where it's going to get filtered to, um, you know, and that's why people now they're looking at the stock market and the stock market is at an all-time high, right? And yet at the, at the same time, you know, 20% of America are three months behind on their rent, you know, and so people are getting this disconnect and, and again, people aren't and then and then people aren't necessarily looking at it of saying, you know, should we really be handing out $2,000 checks to people? Now they're thinking, well, why am I not getting mine? And then how come Jeff Bezos is worth $200 billion, mm -hmm. you know, and so the, the conversation just really becomes disconnected, um, you know, from a political standpoint, an economic standpoint, and then obviously, uh, you know, from, from a from a finance standpoint. Yeah, and it seems that uh, people just don't understand what it means to have a business. Uh, I mean, this country is, was started by entrepreneurs. So 100 years ago, 150 years ago, people knew what it meant to have a business. And in the, um, the industrial age, I guess people started becoming employees, right? So now they become dependent. I like to right. say to people that slavery really never uh, ended. It just, you know, yeah. instead of actually chains and whips and stuff, now they have paychecks and, and uh, you know, sure. paid day off and stuff like that. So Sure. I think uh, I think Jason also has brought that up several times on his show before where, um, you know, when uh, when you're paying 30 percent of your wages in taxes, you know, I, I, I it's not direct, but he's like, well, essentially, that makes you 30 percent a slave. Right. Because 30 percent of your labor is basically being taken from you. So you're working and, and you don't have a choice for that. And uh, and also, too, as we talk a lot about on the on the nine figure network and, and things when when we're discussing. Um, you know, diversifying income, diversifying revenue streams, that one of the most dangerous positions that you can be in is having one, right? And when you bring up a paycheck, that's what it is. You know, your, your whole livelihood is dependent upon somebody else valuing your labor enough to say, it's been two weeks, here's what your labor is worth, here's your paycheck. And then as soon as the company isn't meeting its profitability targets, and the executives, the C-suites are going, hey, we're going to need to cut some costs here. Uh, you know, where is that going to come from? Generally, you start right with a lot of your, you know, your, your travel, your marketing, that kind of thing. Uh, but not long after that is when they start looking at, at payroll, right? Mm -hmm. And so people start to get scared and people start to get paranoid. And essentially what they've done is, is they put their whole livelihood on one source of income and the hopes that somebody will continue to value their labor and pay them what they believe that they're worth. But, you know, if it comes down to an executive putting in their, their, their swimming pool that year, or you getting a paycheck and you being somebody they've never met, they don't know, whatever that condition might be. I mean, I hate to tell you folks, but 
it could be your paycheck. You know, they might take that pool. <laughs> you say that. And the first thing that comes to mind is that movie, uh, uh, Christmas vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You you know, know, and we don't all have a cousin Eddie who's going to go and kidnap, you know, that executive and, and hope that he changes his mind as he's gift wrapping your, you know, in right. your living room right <laughs> exactly. next to your burnt up Christmas tree. All right, guys, let's take a quick second. I want to thank our awesome sponsor for today's show, which is Pack Crest Botanicals. If you listen to episode 55 of this show, then you heard my conversation with Michael Pickens. He is the CEO of Pack Crest Botanicals, which offers the highest quality herbal supplements, natural topicals, and CBD hemp products. They also carry Delta 8 vape cartridges. Now, Delta 8 is fully legal in all 50 states, and unlike regular Delta 9 cannabis, when you take it, you get a nice relaxing body sensation without the anxiety or paranoia you sometimes get with recreational products. With Pack Crest, your medicine gets shipped directly to your home. It comes in a little undisclosed box and ready to go. Pack Crest Botanicals also has full-spectrum tinctures, adaptogen teas, mushroom blends, and even topicals and balms. So go to PackCrestBotanicals.com. The listeners of this program will get a 30% discount on their first order. Just type in the word Invictus at checkout. That's PackCrestBotanicals.com with discount code Invictus for 30% off. They don't skimp on quality because the stuff they sell is the stuff they want to use. Now let's get back to the show. I think that uh, I think the conversation around finances is, is definitely needed. I mean, they don't teach financial education in school. I mean, we used to tell people that only four states offer financial education for one semester in high school. That number might have changed in recent years, but uh, yeah, probably I remember, to zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, rem- I remember when I was in high school. This was a while back. I'm I'm no longer a spring chicken, but uh, uh, I took a home economic. <laughs> I don't have a gray beard, but I got somewhat of a yeah. beard here. So, <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I learned how to balance a checkbook in my home economics check, uh, class. I might have learned what a stock and a bond was, and nobody uses checkbooks anymore. So now we're left to okay, what's the stock and what's the bond? But in in this world, we got so many different vehicles out there that people just don't know, and they're 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 sure. literally clueless. And there's a hundred thousand different podcasts, different experts on. On, on the air, on, on, the, on the internet as to who do I trust? Who can I go to to give me sound advice? Right. What, what would you say? How, how do you provide a, a value in what you have to offer? I want, I want to talk more about you know, what your company specifically does. Sure. No. Um, so, so I think at the end of the day, um, the, when it comes to a company or when it comes to a business, being in finance, as you know, we're essentially overhead, right? We, we are a support function. Um, very rarely are we really ever driving finance as a, as a, as an entity, um, top and bottom line growth, right? Because we're not selling, um, we're not cutting costs. We're not, um, um, improving, um, you know, the, the, the types of processes that really help drive, um, production, um, and really help being able to become more profitable, um, from that perspective. And so where, where finance really plays a role is being able to ask those types of questions, right? Because as we're going through a PL and and we're looking at our costs and we see um, labor costs, you know, and and maybe your labor costs uh, you've noticed that have been you know slowly trending up, and year over year you're noticing that your labor costs are ten percent higher, and yet your bottom line is is relatively flat, and mm-hmm. and so um, I don't ever want to pretend that I know anyone's business better than they do. 
And I think that's where it starts, right? If, when we all start from, um, you know, I think, uh, I think I had some, some leaders when I used to work with Expedia and they talked about servant leadership, right? You're, you're basically putting your trust in the people that you are helping and the people that you're helping to build up, knowing that they know what they're doing better than you do. Um, but that's the part of finance, I think, that, that is very critical because um, I don't ever want to go into a situation and pretend like I know somebody's what they're doing better. And I think that's where it starts, right? People come in acting as an authority and they tell people what to do. And if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, then you're wrong. Um, and I don't think that we really have the ability to do that. So, so whereas we might be you know, talking to restaurant owners, or we might be talking to people that run consulting companies, or we might be talking to branding companies, or we might be talking to, um, you know, manufacturers. The last thing that we want to do is, is say, no, you need to do it this way. You need to do it this way. You need to do it this way. Uh, because at the end of the day, first, you're going to get pushback because they're going to be like, well, who are you? Um, and then secondly, I don't think it creates the types of conversations that helps everybody improve. Um, you know, going back into, again, working in manufacturing, um, you know, my corporate finance job when I used to work at Boeing, I don't know how the hell to build an airplane. <laughs> I've never built an airplane. I've never mm -hmm. built an airplane before. But what I do understand, though, is, is, is that whatever I'm seeing tasks that are assigned to, um, to people who are building an airplane and specific jobs are being tasked at 30 minutes, 45 minutes by their teams and their leadership. And they're averaging an hour 20, an hour 30, whatever that might be. I can quantify that and say, hey, you know what? Based off of the tasks that you guys are doing, you guys have a lot of times of 30 minutes or 45 minutes, but your average is an hour and 15. Now, one shift here and there, that might not make a big difference. But if you're talking about doubling the amount of labor on a specific task, over the cost of a $100 million airplane, you could be talking about tens of thousands of dollars, um, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending upon the number of jobs in excess labor costs, right? Mm, yeah. And so you just asked that question, hey, you know, what's going on here? Is this due to, um, you know, uh, a time that you guys haven't allotted correctly and we actually need to adjust this to properly count for um, a proper amount of labor, or is it something else that's going on? Um, you know, and, and to, to, to really kind of make a long story, well, longer, I guess, but um, one of the things that we found was, is that part of the thing that was going on is we were getting parts from another supplier mm. and they had to actually fix them up, right? So they actually had to spend more time cleaning up the prior job. And that's what was taking so long. And so what we were able to do was, right, is that we can go back to those other people and say, hey, look, you guys are sending us, you know, screwed up items, screwed up things. We actually have to fix your mess and it's costing us X amount of dollars. And so I think that's really where it comes. Uh, you build that trust and you say, hey, look, I'm not here to tell you how to run your business. All I'm here to do is, is help you be able to maximize the way that you operate by asking the types of questions that I know will impact your top and your bottom line. 
Yeah, I like how you said that. You know, you need to ask a lot of questions. Uh, in, in my role as a, a financial advisor, I don't use that title because I think people run away from financial advisors. I'm yeah. more of a coach, right? I, I want to be, yeah. I want to be an inspector. I want to, I would discover things. I want to ask a lot of questions, but I also want to be a, a coach. You know, they're looking to me to, to nudge them along, to uh, you know, to give them some ideas, uncover right. some things where they're not seeing. But uh, like you said, not to not to be an expert in all areas because I can't, I can't yeah. tell someone how to run their life any more than they can run their own. Right. Cause a coach, right. You're, you're on the same team. Um, you, you look as a coach to say, Hey, look, we both had the same objective here. Uh, you know, coming from a finance world, you know, like you and I were talking about before when generally people hear FAs um, you know, and maybe I'm don't speak for everybody, but I generally tend to think sales, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it, it's easy for people to kind of be scared from that because they're like, it's like car salesmen, right? You know, if, if they were car coaches, <laughs> you know, their reputation might be a little bit different because their goal would be, hey, how do we get you in the exact type of thing that you're looking for? And if, and if I don't have it, how do I help you get it? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily think of, of salespeople. So I, I, think you're, I think you're right um, in, in approaching it from a coaching standpoint. Um, as opposed to a, uh, you know, how do I put you in something that's going to help make me money? Gotcha. Gotcha. On your website, you have a vision statement. It says to help foster a business environment where anyone and everyone can become financial experts. What, yeah. uh, what, what, what's the thought behind that vision? You, you're, you're hoping everybody you sit down with just understands the, the way that you think or... No, because I, I think everybody's going to think differently, right? And, okay. and so one of the things that I've always talked about being in corporate finances is that um, my end goal is to essentially automate myself out of a job, right? Okay. Um, because when I, when I say that is, it's because if everybody understood how to look at you know, things the way that we typically tend to do in finance, then you don't really need finance, right? Mm-hmm because they would understand how to look at their labor. They would understand how to look at their cogs. They would understand how to properly maximize business mix, you know, those types of things. Now, where finance would still have a role, um, you know, although smaller one is the one that puts a lot of that reporting together, right? If, if you're an engineer um, and you, you know, again, working at Boeing, these guys are rocket scientists. They're, they're analyzing proper thrust and that kind of thing. And they're talking about, you know, all of this stuff that people in finance would never be able to understand. Um, but, you know, when I'm sending out questions and I'm saying, hey, I noticed that we were over here and we were under here, you know, do we need to reassess this, 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 and this, and this? And then I get responses back from them. If they already knew all of the questions that I was going to ask, <laughs> then there wouldn't really be anything outside of reporting, you know, for me to do. And right. so when I'm talking about, um, you know, entrepreneurs, people that run their own businesses, uh, you know, a good example would be restaurants, right? Um, you know, when you, when you run a restaurant and you understand, hey, my labor cost should be approximately 20 to 25%. Um, my food cost should be approximately 30%, whatever it might be. If they are already asking those th- themselves those questions, then they don't really need me to say, "Hey, I noticed that your food cost is at thirty-five percent. You know what's driving that? You know, are you are you selling some low some things that maybe you're not making any money off of? Um, but if they're already asking those, then they're like, "Oh, we don't really need that guy." <laughs> um, you know, and and so I think that people have the potential to do that, right? Everybody has the capacity 
to understand, you know, how to make their business succeed financially if they understand their business. And so that's why I say, you know, not everybody can be in finance, but anybody can be an expert. You just have to understand how best to look at it. And a lot of that originates from, you know, really understanding uh, your PL. Um, you know, if, if you're a business owner and you're noticing that your operating expenses average 25% a month, uh, and then COVID comes around and, you know, all of a sudden now your operating expenses are at 35%. Well, why is that? Well, it's because, you know, we were a counter service before, but now we're having to pay people to deliver food, you know, and so our, our labor costs ended up going up. You know, if, if they understand how to read a P&L and they can understand those breakdowns and they know what those drivers are, um, then I think that that's really kind of where they would want to be at from a from a finance mindset. Sure, sure. Now, um, <laughs> when I was when I was teaching people the financial services industry, part of my job was to be a coach, and as uh, uh, as much as that, I also wanted to train new advisors. But a lot of people look at financial experts as like these brainiac kind of people like with, with, who know numbers very well. For me, it's never really been like that. It's just about, okay, the, the basic thing you need to know about finance is don't spend more than you make, right? On a personal right. level. And yeah. I'd say the same thing probably carries over for businesses too. But uh, the reason I was asking, I, I'm just curious about you, Danny. Now, did you go to school for finance or, or no? Uh, so my undergrad was actually in hospitality. Okay. Um, you know, whenever I was in undergrad, I actually wanted to be a general manager of a hotel, um, like of a big, you know, a big hotel. Um, and the thought process was, is, is that um, I really like understanding how business and people think and work and how they click. And so my, my logic there was, is that if I'm overseeing a large hotel, um, I'm involved in catering and I'm involved in operations and housekeeping and finance and food service and all of that. And okay. so you could really kind of dip your toes in a lot of different areas. Uh, but, but then I realized I didn't like tourists very much. And so <laughs> hospitality, hospitality sure. wasn't exactly the right place. <laughs> um, and then I started to work in revenue management with Hilton. Um, and so that was when I really started to dive into the numbers side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was where a lot of the, you know, the numbers piece of it really started to click um, because then I was really being able to understand how a business operates um, and really, you know, get down in, into the nitty gritty, um, you know, and, and that was just something that I really enjoyed. So I ended up going back and getting my MBA. Uh, okay. it, was a, it was a general MBA. It wasn't um, specific for finance, um, but it was around that time where, where I really started to figure out what it was that I, that I really liked doing. That's great. Yeah. The reason I brought that up is because, like I said, a lot of people, you'll, you'll call yourself a financial advisor. They think that you have all these letters after your title, all these degrees right. and things like that. And, and some of the sharpest people I know in the industry don't even have degrees, but yet mm -hmm. they still have to work up their credibility. And so when, pe when people look at you in your job as a corporate financier, you know, is that, is that credibility, is that title important to them? Or is it just uh, the things that you're asking that's more important? Do, do people look at your, your credibility? Um, well, so, I mean, again, to working in finance, you probably know a lot of times um, when you don't have that relationship and that rapport, uh, we generally would tend to call a lot of the businesses, you know, the businesses that we're working with our customers or our business partners, you know, things along those lines. Generally, when you come in, you're the enemy, right? Because, because we're the bean counters. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're the ones that are basically coming in and, you know, and I always joke with people that I always say, well, I'm there to tell them that they're spending too much money and that they're <laughs> not making enough money, <laughs> you know? And so a lot of times when you come in, people will have that, that mindset where, you know, you're going to tell me how to run my business and you're going to tell me how to run my, you know, my assembly line or, or, or whatever else it might be. Um, and so I think they don't particularly tend to care about degrees. They don't particularly tend to care, especially too, depending upon the industry, like uh, coming from manufacturing. I've also worked in like exposition services, putting together trade shows and things. Some of these guys are like second, third generation in that industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm some you know, schmuck with an MBA that's got six months of experience working in that industry, they don't care what I have to say. <laughs> um, and so what's, what's really ends up being important there is, is, is really establishing and building those relationships and kind of like what you talked about before, using kind of like the term coach um, and, and really starting off with saying, look, I'm not here to step on anybody's toes right? I'm not here to tell you how to run your business. All I'm here to do is, is make sure that what you guys are doing is, is going to roll up and affect that PL in the way that our senior leadership does, right? I don't, I don't want to try to establish it as a, as a me versus you. Um, it's more along the lines of, hey, we're all on the same team here, right? We all have an objective, and that is to make sure that we're hitting our profitability targets, we're, we're hitting production times, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And so I think really getting in and establishing that right away is probably the most important part. I mean, to your point, you know, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, I had a boss one time that actually hired me and we were talking about the uh, ineffectiveness of an MBA and, and how they're not really required that much anymore. And I, and I told him, I was like, wow, it's, it really makes me feel good knowing that I went to school for that. And, and, you know, we don't really care about those, which, which is true. Um, but then he looked at me and he was like, I didn't even know you had an MBA. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, even better, <laughs> you there know, you um, and, and a lot of it was just because really when you get down into it outside of certain areas, um, I don't think people really care um, about that as much, um, you know, as, as long as you're able to build that, you know, build that relationship. Uh, and at Boeing in particular, finance people moved around so much anyway, mm. and it was so huge um, most of the time, the people there were like, I'm not even going to bother knowing your name because you're going to be somewhere else in a year or two. <laughs> I see. I gotcha. So uh, where you and I differ is that uh, you don't really have that the personal relationship with with your clients that I might have sitting down. We mentioned sales before, and we want to try to take that that word sales, which can have a negative connotation you know, sure. out of the equation. But people are still going to buy from people who they know, like, and trust. And you mentioned Absolutely. trust a couple of times. So uh, it's important for you, no matter if they see your credentials or if they even know your first name, that you've established yourself with enough rapport that they can trust you, that you know you can help them by asking the correct questions that you're going to ask. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think, too, um, coming from your side, being on the, on the personal finance side, um, I think that's even more critical, right? Because they're coming in. Um, I mean, you know, from a corporate finance perspective, uh, they don't have a choice, right? They're going to have to work with me regardless. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the goal is is to make it as good of a relationship as we possibly can. Um, On the personal finance side, it's even more important because they're sitting there going, well, why should I give you my money, 
right? You know, and and so that's even more important. And and so to your point, you know, having those credentials and that kind of thing, and and really showing, hey, this is what I've been able to do for others, um, and this is what I would like to you know to do for you. I think that really goes a long way, um, you know, and 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 so that part I think is is super critical. Whereas again, like I said, on the corporate finance side, you know, it's like I mentioned before, I'd be like, look, I'm gone in a year or two. <laughs> you know, do we want to make this a good relationship or do we want to make this a bad relationship? Because I can say they're missing their targets and they haven't given me a good reason of why. Or I can say, hey, look, we missed our target here, but we're working on X, Y, and Z. And this is when we think that we'll be able to, to be able to turn it around. Um, sure. And so, you know, you, you come at it from that and they're generally a little bit more willing to work with you. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But you've, uh, you've changed your career direction a little bit. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. starting your own company, being an entrepreneur, a, a consultant, you offer webinars uh, on your website, and you also host a weekly podcast. And so now people mm-hmm. are starting to get to know who Danny Hudson is and looking at your own credibility, looking at your own work, and, and building that more per- personal relationship with people as opposed to your role as, uh, in corporate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and part of that had to do with... Um, um, you know, I, I think Jason actually has Jason Stapleton actually has it in his bio on Twitter, um, where I think it's something along the lines of, um, you know, um, I do what I want every day, and I help other people get what they want so they can do whatever it is that they want to do every day. I'm sure I butchered it, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, but but that kind of became my goal, right? Because um, when, when I used to work at, at Expedia, uh, we had a big event every year where the entire marketing team would get together. And, and keep in mind, this is, this is an organization of people that have a billion dollar budget, right? They're going to go out and they're going to spend a billion dollars on marketing. And, you know, every year the finance team, one of the directors would come in and they would spend an hour basically saying, hey, this is what finance is. This is what finance does. This is kind of where your role plays into a PL, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and finance would have an hour, uh, but they would generally only have like 30 minutes worth of material because what we found was, is that there were so many questions, right? Because people that go to school for marketing and they go to school for operations and they're doing this and this and this and this, um, the knowledge of finance isn't really there. You know, what is a return on investment? What is this? What is that? You know, that those types of questions, they don't really know. Um, and so that really kind of got the, the, the wheels turning in my head and saying, if, if these guys with a billion dollar budget don't really quite understand what it is the role of finance has in a business. What about the people who are running, you know, a lot of your standard businesses, right? Your lawn care businesses, your, uh, your restaurant businesses, you know, whatever, whatever you could possibly even think of staffing agencies, all those kinds of things. These guys are also running businesses and they're going to know those businesses sometimes in and out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But if these guys running a billion dollar budget don't understand finance and they don't understand the role, you know, who's helping these other guys over here that are that are operating their small businesses understand it. Uh, You know, maybe they plug numbers into QuickBooks and it spits out, um, you know, profitability and some margin. But do they really understand what is driving that? Um, And so I started talking with some people and and they were like, yeah, you know what, if, uh, you know, I run a a medium size operations company um, and we have issues with, um, you know, terms, right? 
where we have customers that are going to pay us on these certain terms. And then, you know, we're paying out people on terms and then we have inventory that gets stacked up and our payment gets messed up. And these people that are running these operations teams where they're doing millions and millions of dollars a year in production, they don't understand the impact of what it is that they're doing on on the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Right. And so by being able to kind of establish a business to where I can help teach people how to understand that, um, you know, I, I feel like that that's something that could really be helpful. Even even something as simple as, again, taking a restaurant, for example, um, you know, a lot of people may not necessarily know that your highest margin items other than your, you know, your drinks is like appetizers and desserts. Right. And so, uh, you know, by a business saying, hey, whoever, you know, whoever sells the most desserts gets a $25 gift card this month. Um, you know, just by doing that, you sell an extra couple hundred desserts in a month. And then next thing you know, you're seeing that bottom line get boosted up. It might not be a huge amount, but what you're finding is, is, is that you didn't increase labor costs, right? You didn't increase your costs, but you were able to increase your profitability by just understanding what it was that drove, you know, that profitability. Sure. You know, I think one of the big challenges of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, first-time business owners is, is really, I, I'm thinking of uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Cashflow Quadrant. Are you familiar with that one where they, they have the no. e So in the Cashflow Quadrant, if you can imagine just, you know, a, a vertical and a, and a horizontal, uh, in each of the quadrants, you have on the left side, E and S, meaning employee and self-employed. And on the opposite side, you'll have business owner and investor. It's a great book. And it talks about uh, how employees, they leverage their time for money, right? Or self-employed right. persons still leverage their time for their clients, right? They, right. they Somebody who's self-employed thinks that they own a business, right? right? But the bottom line is if if they are not working physically seeing uh, customers or selling a product, then their business, if they go on vacation for two weeks, they're not generating any income. And then right. on the other side, on the right side of that equation, the business owner is somebody who actually has a system set up where sure. they have things put in place where uh, revenue keeps generating, whether they're physically in there or not. And of course, I in the bottom quadrant is uh, the investor section, right. right? Where now you're leveraging money and to make other money. Sure. So you haven't heard of that book before? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that we ended up having to read it in grad school. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, it's funny because, because okay. as you started going into it, but then also to working full time, going to school full time, there were also books and stuff that got skimmed over and that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. No, I understand. Like I said, there's a million books out there, but uh, I, I think it's uh, somebody like you could be a valuable asset to people going from that self-employed situation to developing systems to put in place to run Absolutely. A on their own. Because uh, yeah. like we said, if they don't even understand how to balance their books or where their profit and loss uh, ratios are or anything like that, how are they ever going to actually be free? And that's really where I, I think that this is an important element of the entire equation is do you have the freedom to come and go as you want or are you yep. constantly enslaved by either your boss or if you're self-employed, you're enslaved by your own company, right? So right. somebody like you can understand, okay, let's put systems in the place to get this thing functioning uh, automatically. Yeah, absolutely. No, you, that that's that's 100% correct. And, and at the end of the day, I think I think most people that go into entrepreneurship, that would be their goal, Right. Um, that would be where they like to go. Um, and then what happens is, is people get bogged down, uh, you know, again, in the, in the self-employed category, and they don't know how to make that transition over to really being able to, to run a business. And that kind of goes back to, I think what we were talking about before, we were talking about 
uh, diversified revenue streams, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing, um, you know, where you're dependent upon one source of income. And like you said, you go on vacation for a couple of weeks and you come back and nothing grew for two weeks. And, and in fact, you actually have more bills over that two weeks and you didn't, and you didn't generate income. Um, I think the one area though, that would probably, and maybe this is an important area where finance would play into that is, um, is the fact that most people that are probably trying to make that leap, it could be a capital thing, right? Um, as I'm sure you're very aware, and, and most people always say, they always say cash is king. Um, you know, and, and a lot of places, they always talk about cash flow. How do we keep cash flow going, you know, and, and, those, and those types of things. And so I think that's where finance plays a very critical role in, in understanding that. One example um, is, is, you know, talking with some, some landscaping companies, um, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure you might see this a lot in your neighborhood, um, guys that are going around and they're cutting lawns and, and you know, they have their lawn care business and, and that kind of thing. Well, you know, there's a lot of competition in there. And so a lot of times just cutting lawns doesn't really tend to be that profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it's because you're right, you have to have all of the equipment, you're driving everywhere. Um, There's a lot of competition because for the most part, it's relatively low startup costs. So you you have a lot of competition that's in there. Uh, And so it's helping teach, you know, somebody who does, who does lawns, you know, how do we pivot this over to something that's more profitable? Uh, and so talking with a couple of people who own landscaping companies, what they did was, is they actually converted more of their labor over to actually doing landscaping, right? So they're okay. putting in um, ponds or they're building decks or they're putting in, um, you know, whatever might increase the, the skill level that's there. And so when we're talking about doing, you know, going on vacation for two weeks, if you're not there to cut lawns for two weeks, you're not going to be able to generate any income. But if you're able to actually stack some of those larger projects that are going to have higher profit margins, that they're going to make your business more money, um, you can actually pivot that over into a situation where we're not making, you know, I'll make up a number, but we'll say we're not making $10 an hour by cutting lawns. We're making $30 an hour by putting in sidewalks or building gardens or whatever it might be. And so whenever you're in that situation, you can say, Hey, we'll just move up some of these jobs a couple of weeks ahead of time. And because we know that we're going to make the profit off of this, that when we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks, it's not that big of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not as concerned about missing out on that revenue because we're taking a vacation because we don't have to sit here and work yard to yard or paycheck to paycheck. It, it's not going to be something that we're going to have to be concerned about. So, so you're right. You know, the, that, that being able to transition, I think there is, is really something that finance has the, has the ability to be able to, to help shed a light on. I had a conversation with an accountant one time and uh, it was basically like what you're saying, the difference between finance and accounting is finance is projecting future plans. You know, what are our, right. what's our future growth projection look like? Accounting is looking backwards and saying, okay, where, you know, where does our money go? And right. it's, it's really interesting because I think most people going back to the individual level, most people fail to look forward with their own lives. So they're not mm-hmm. planning for the future. I mean, whether they're owning a business or they're just an employee, they're not planning for uh, future catastrophes like COVID-19. Am I going to be out of work for six months? Am I going to, you know, am I going to be able to pay the rent, you know, mm-hmm. or they're looking back and I have all this debt stacked up and this is where my money's gone. But yeah. now what do I go? So now you need an intermediary uh, to, to go in between, whether it's an advisor like myself or a, a finance person like you who's helping a small business. I think there's an important role to play to make that transition from the past to the future. 
Yeah. And, and I think too, so a lot of times people uh, will, will look at me and they'll think, oh, accounting, accounting was my worst subject. I hate accounting. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. There's, there's rules and, and, you know, and you have to do all these kind of rules and that kind of thing. And it just doesn't click in my brain. Um, really, I think the, the biggest difference on, on the finance side is, is to your point, right? Um, we'll basically take these large sets of data and we'll just say, you know, here's our sales, here's by, you know, by this, this, and this, and this. And we, and then we say, all right, well, what does all this mean? And so we break it down and we say, okay, well, you know, to your point, as far as COVID goes, here's what we did in 2019. Here's what we're forecasting for 2020. COVID is going to destroy all of that, right? COVID is going to make all this a huge mess. Mm -hmm. So how do we take our business? How do we pivot it? How do we understand the, the, the strengths of our business to be able to hit profitability goals? Do we need to revise our targets? Do we need, um, most likely probably yes. Um, but then how do we leverage what we have to be able to, to hit those? And so that tends to be the, where the, the creativity comes into finance, right? Because, um, you know, you don't necessarily have all of the answers. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when it comes to accounting, like you said, you know, you got to make sure the books are balanced. You got to make sure that all your month in receipts are in. Uh, you know, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's to make sure that taxes is covered, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then when finance gets it, they're like, we got a whole dump of data. We don't know what it means. And we need to figure out how to make sure that we've got a 12 month forecast or, or depending upon the size of business, sometimes a 36 month forecast mm -hmm. um, or sometimes even, you know, a 90 day sprint, a 90 day cycle. Um, I know a lot of, of um, restaurants and things like that when they're normally forecasting food costs, labor costs, you know, they, they're doing it several months in advance. Uh, when COVID happened, no one really knew what was going on, right? And so what they have to do is, is now do you need to go down to weeks, right? Do you need to, do you need to look at how much food are you going to serve in a week? You know, how did we do last week as far as pickup orders or delivery orders um, and, and really kind of restructure your forecast, you know, based off of that. And so that's the, that's the fun part, right? That's, that's where the, cause, cause you just don't know. Right. And, and mm -hmm. that's where people learn and that's where they get better and they get smarter. And when you really nail a forecast and you really hit that profit target that you were shooting for, it feels good. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. you know, it, it does. It, you know, there's a sense of accomplishment there um, because you put a lot of work into it. You put a lot of effort into it um, and you worked hard to say, you know, I'm not going to just make enough to pay my bills. I'm going to set stretch goals. I'm going to set, I'm going to set high targets and, and, and how do we get there? And, and you build a plan. And, and when you hit that, it does, it, it feels really good. <laughs> Why well, I, I agree. I, again, I, I don't work with a lot of uh, businesses, but on the individual level, when I sit down with somebody who you know gives me the, uh, the bug eyes of confusion and perplexity, I'm in, I'm in debt up to my eyebrows. How do I get out of it? And then I put together yeah. a plan show, okay, well, I can get you out of debt in the next 10 years, including your 30 year mortgage. All of a sudden, they're like, wow, that's awesome. Or I can yeah. show them, you know, I can have you save, you know, $10,000 over the next 24 months. And, you know, what would you do with this? Now you're asking them these kind of questions. Yeah. And, and, and they look at they look at me like a hero. And I'm, just, you know, I'm just a guy just, you know, knows, I've studied yeah. a few books. I, I know a few things. You know, I'm not a financial expert. I don't have a degree in finance. I got a marketing degree. But I learned sure. enough about you know, how to ask questions, how to, how to look at things. And then you step into that role as, you know, you are the hero, quote unquote. Right. Uh, but when you look at them, you know, uh, in an annual review, uh, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months down the road, how did the plan work? Then they love you. 
You know, I'm sure the yeah. same thing goes for you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, for the most part, being on the corporate finance side, generally the operations team and those guys, marketing or whoever, they generally tend to get the credit. (laughs) You know, the sales guys or whoever, they tend to get the credit, but that's all right. You know, you know, that's, that's, again, that's part of being a support function, right? At least, you know, you've done the right thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we pushed hard because we reached X amount of percentage of savings or we reduced X inventory cost. And, you know, you say, Hey, it's because we challenged um, you know, you, they had a, a thousand parts in inventory and we knew that 400 of them rarely ever moved. Mm. And so why are we holding 30% of inventory where we're, we're spending tens of thousands of dollars in inventory cost over here when we should be reallocating resources over here. And so at the end of the year, to your point, right, you get that 12 month report. Oh, inventory costs are down year over year, blah, 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 blah. Way to go manufacturing team or whoever, um, but then also too having that rapport with those teams and they understand, hey, you know, we wouldn't have necessarily known about this or how to look at this or how to analyze this without the finance team sitting there saying, hey, why the hell are we have this aged inventory in here that's been here for two years that we're paying X amount of thousands of dollars on? And they go, oh, we didn't even know about that. <laughs> um, you know, so so you know, you get some support from the from the teams. Um, on your side though, on a on a personal level. Uh, you know, you guys really have the direct impact to, to change lives, right? To, to, to impact those lives directly. Um, and, and I think that's huge. And I think, I think understanding that, and, and that's why you can come from a marketing background um, and do what you do is because at the end of the day, I think the, the, the caring is, is there, right? You, what you care about is, is them reaching those levels of success, and, you know, you could achieve that with just a high school diploma, right? You wouldn't even need a degree. It's, it's you being able to understand what to do, how to do it, and then how to get those guys on board um, to be able to achieve that level of success. And, and, and so what you're able to do on, on a personal level, um, you know, is, is very difficult to match on the corporate side, right? Because the corporate side, that just most, a lot of times means that the stock price is up, so stockholders are happy. Mm. And then the CEO gets a million dollar bonus or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, this, the CEO is not saying, oh, well, I paid my mortgage off early and I got out of debt, you know, right, whereas right. over on your side, it's, it's really much more tangible, um, you know, on, on an individual level. Well, I, I do appreciate the sentiment there. Uh, you know, I, I don't talk a whole yeah, lot about I'm puffing the ego a little bit there for you. <laughs> I, I don't talk a whole lot about what I do professionally on this podcast simply because, uh, the intention was to help people better themselves, no matter where they are in life. You know, if they're struggling financially per, at a personal level, then sure, a guy like me or you know a team of people I work with come in and help them out. If they're struggling on their business side, then you know somebody like you is going to be more beneficial, and more useful. And I, re- I really think because this world that we live in, it's just there's just so many confusion times, right? And I know that you and I also share this common theme about uh, enter the government coming in and screwing everything up, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've heard you on a couple of your shows talk about about that, you know, things like the minimum wage laws and things of that nature. Right. And yeah, um, it's just uh, it's just craziness. You know, I, I want to be able to empower people to know just a little bit more. Where, where can they go for just a little bit more information, just a little bit more uh, attention to what their personal detail is instead of from the broad overview of oh, this is how you solve all the problems, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what I generally tend to try to do on on my podcast is is. Um, is you know take take a large economic standpoint again right you you bring up the minimum wage 
because because I think a lot of people their heart is in the right place. You know, they they say, well, I want people to make at least fifteen dollars an hour because that means hey, they're more likely to be able to pay their bills and, and you know, then they're able to do this and they're able to do that and they're able to provide for their kid or, or, or things along those lines. Um, and so they see this large government policy, large economic view. Um, but what I try to do is, is break it down to, to help people understand how does that impact you and me, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you and I are talking and we're talking with other people, no one can quantify $1.9 trillion. No one understands what $1.9 trillion is. But when you say that the expectation is, is that if you increase the minimum wage up to $15 an hour, that 1.3 or 1.4 million people might lose their job, right? Mm -hmm. We know what that means. We, we understand that on a, on a personal level, Um, you know, and, and so I try to do that a lot on, on my podcast and, and, uh, another example would be, you know, right now in, in Washington, D.C., uh, the minimum wage is already $15 an hour. And so you increase the minimum wage there and it's it's no one really notices. Um, mm-hmm. But on the flip side, you know, like according to fee, if you were to increase nationally the minimum wage up to $15 an hour in Puerto Rico, people making $15 an hour there will basically be like somebody in in Washington, DC making $68 an hour, right? The effective minimum wage would be $68 an hour. And so when you, when you're able to understand it kind of on a personal level like that, uh, you know, who's going to be able to operate a business in Puerto Rico paying that level of a wage? It's, it's very difficult from a business standpoint. And so I try to you know, do that where I break it down. And because I think when people are armed with that knowledge of, of easy and, and understandable ways of being able to grasp, the, you know, these very intangible abstract concepts, um, it makes people smarter. Uh, it makes them stronger. And, and, you know, like I say on the show, and, and I think I ripped it off from Jason, I I'm, I'm probably did. Um, but when I say that, you know, that people, you know, that we have the, the moral obligation to be as financially successful as we possibly can be. And I mean that because, you know, if you and I have the means to be able to do that, it puts us in a position to where we can help other people who don't necessarily have that ability, you know, that level, um, whether it's uh, lack of education, whether it's lack of resources, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. And so by being able to understand some of those concepts, um, I think it puts people in a position to where they're thinking, okay, $15 an hour minimum wage sounds pretty good, but now I understand what that means. You know, now I understand what it means for you and I, um, you know, on a, on a personal level. We're not talking about the Jeff Bezos's, you know, 200 billion. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, um, you know, the, the kid who's working part-time trying to save up some money to go to college, mm-hmm. you know, that's making nine or 10 bucks an hour, right? If, if the minimum wage goes to 15 bucks an hour, he might not have a job at all, um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And I think when, when, when you break it down to that level, uh, it's, it's a lot easier for, you know, for, for people to be able to understand. Yeah. I spent a, t- a stint of about two years working for a, a labor company, a, a temporary service company. And, uh, I had to sell our services to, uh, to companies, you know, that they wanted to hire temporary workers or, or a final position. And right. I think that what most people don't realize is that there is a, there is a, a cost. It's about a 1.5 to 1.6 cost factor that an employer has to pay just to hire somebody. Right. So 
you got things like uh, um, not not only their wage, but you have uh, you know the workers' compensation, right? Uh, insurance, and you have uh, other kinds of insurances at healthcare expenses. So somebody might be making fifteen dollars an hour, but their employer is paying like twenty two fifty an hour for that employee. Absolutely, so people don't even realize that those kind of things are affecting business owners. Which is right. why I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, you know when people really understand the impact that it has on the individual, not just the Jeff Bezos rich business owners, like but the mom and pop shops right. out there. And I think most of the economy is driven by those small companies anyway. And if you know if we want to have rules and uh, restrictions on them that are preventing them from actually being able to pay their employees, then of course they're not going to be able to because everything else is going to have a hike to it as well. It's not just the, right. like, the wage itself; it's, it's everything else is factored in in between. So yeah, and and so and and another example of that is um, I had done a show on automation because one thing that COVID has done is is it has driven uh, you know um, automation on a faster pace. Uh, you know, than, than it would have previously. And so there are specific robots, you know, that you uh, can get subscriptions to. So say, for example, you own a McDonald's, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's like $1,000 a month for this specific machine, this specific robot, and it basically flips and makes burgers, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so you're paying $12,000 a year for something that'll basically work 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, and so what'll happen is, is, is that it might not be perfect, um, but you know you start raising that wage up, and now people are thinking, well, if this one robot that I'm paying twelve thousand dollars a year for can essentially do the labor of two cooks that I have in the kitchen, who now I am paying sixty thousand dollars a year for, um, the the difference there is is now large enough to where now I want to go and test the robot out because it just makes financially sense. The other alternative would be, would be to jack up my prices. And especially too, if it's a restaurant, you're probably very competitive, you know, you're operating on small margins because there's a lot of competition that's out there. And so people are looking for any ways that they can, uh, you know, to, to save some money there. And so that's an option. And then the, the counter argument generally tends to be, well, people are going to automate anyway, you know, we're moving in that direction and they're right. I mean, you know, it, it will eventually get to that point. The difference though is, is now you have people who are, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old that now have zero experience, right? They have no skills. There's no, because it's impossible for them to get a job mm -hmm. because it's, there's, it's very unlikely that they will be able to work anywhere where they're contributing $15 an hour worth of value, um, especially at, at small mom and pop businesses where the margins are already, you know, relatively low. Um, and so that's the kind of thing too, that, you know, you try to, you try to help getting, you know, get people thinking about. Well, thank you, Danny. I, out of respect for everyone's time here, I want to I want to end it there. Uh, we can probably go on for another two hours trying to yeah, solve the, the I, labor I, and finance absolutely. problems of the world. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, in closing, I, I just wanted to ask if you have any closing thoughts as far as, you know, what people can do either on a, on a business level or on the corporate level, uh, other than you can plug all your shows and all everything you have, but uh, just let's leave us some uh, closing thoughts here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things I think that that's very important for people um, is, is just to ask questions, right? You know, one of, you know, I, I generally tell people, uh, working in finance, I don't really understand how to do a whole lot of things except for ask questions. Um, you know, and 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 if there's something you don't understand, ask why. You know, try to try to dive into it. 
because I think what you'll find is the more questions that you ask, the more you learn. And so the more that you learn, the more that you're going to be capable of being able to achieve things that, that you just didn't know existed. And I think that's one of the things uh, that, that people do tend to struggle with when it comes to entrepreneur um, and, and financial success and achieving those financial freedoms is that they just don't understand necessarily how to get there. And mm -hmm. I think where it starts is, is, is being able to ask those questions. And so the, the big thing that I would, would generally tend to leave people is, is that, you know, if, if you want to understand how to get to financial freedom, you know, you, you just have to start asking, you know, start asking those questions and, and think with, uh, I know you mentioned it before, but but think about yourself and, and everything you do kind of from that from that business perspective. Um, you know, if, if I'm going out and eating five times a week, how is that going to drive my bottom line? You know, that's going to reduce, you know, reduce my profit that I've got left. And so so I think that's really key. Um, and, and something that I try to talk about a lot on, on my show is, is that I'll start reading something. I'll say, well, what about this? That would make me think of this. So what about this? Um, and so I think that's a good place to start, but, uh, but yeah, I would love it. You know, uh, so finance essentials is, is the name of the show is the podcast. Uh, it's also financeessentials.io. Um, similar to you, we're on, we're on, uh, uh you know, all the, the podcasting networks. Um, we're also on YouTube. So, so feel free to check that out. I'm on most of the, um, most of the social networks. I'm, I'm terrible at Instagram. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm not very good at it. Uh, I've tried to figure it out and I've got some stuff on there, um, but I'm but I'm getting better, right? I'm asking those questions. What am I doing wrong? You know, how do I not understand this? And, and, and so I'm getting better, but yeah, you know, check it out. And one of the things that I love to do too is I love to get to, to get listener feedback. And so people that have ideas or suggestions as far as shows go, I love hearing that because a lot of times it's something that maybe I'm not very familiar with. And so then I have to go learn. Right. And, and, there you go. and that's, that's part of it. <laughs> well, you, you and I will continue to grow and learn together in that uh, nine figure network. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have to do it again. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. I want to thank Danny Hudson for his time with me today. I also want to thank the listeners of this show for spreading the word and sharing it with their friends. Remember, you can find this program on YouTube. I put up the unedited videos there every week. Just click the little bell at the bottom to get notified when they come out. If you like this show, or if you don't, feel free to go to Apple and give the show a rating. Tell me what you like, what should be approved upon, and what guests you think would be a good fit. All right, until next time, keep asking yourself good questions. Find a trusted advisor or friend who helps you to ask good questions and continue learning new skills to help you grow. Until next time, stay productive, stay positive, and most importantly, stay free. See you soon.